Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. For the last two weeks, um, we've been in a series entitled A Nation in Chaos. And the first week, I spent a lot of time uh, on the root reason of why we are in the predicament that we are in. Last week, I covered how perceptions are a big part of why people are becoming so extreme and that even though their personal perceptions are validated in their own minds, they shouldn't be trusted. Their perceptions shouldn't be trusted. The devil's deceptions and lies get mixed into those perceptions and we start reacting instead of responding to everything we see. And there's a lot of people in this world right now, a lot of people in our nation reacting to everything, aren't there? When the church does this, We become ineffective in ministry. We must stand firm and bring a balanced message to the current culture. A culture that's in chaos. And this is how we will be used by God to to bring peace to the issues at hand and continue to be effective in building his kingdom until he comes again. And that is really the challenge for us. To remain busy about the Father's business instead of hunkering down and holding the fort or being just another loud voice in the sea of people screaming because you know where you're going i mean we all know where we're going right we all know what's going to happen when we if you've accepted christ and you've read his word and you understand that there's there's things that are coming the promises that are going to be kept by god we know that we have a bright and glorious future right turn to your neighbor and say you got a bright and glorious future now turn to that same neighbor and say if you've accepted Christ. And that's it. That's it. Building his kingdom is not an easy task. It is so easy to get sidetracked and lose our focus. We have to be disciplined if we're going to be effective. We must never compromise the truth while at the same time knowing exactly when and how we go about sharing that truth. And that means if you're not being led of the Spirit, you're going you're gonna to fail. There's just, there's just no two ways about it. We can become so caught up in the promises of God and Him coming back again because it's our blessed hope. It's the great catching up. It's the rapture. And we need to be focused about that. We need to be thinking about that. But we can be so caught up in it uh, that we forget about doing our job here on earth. And one of the things that can happen... As you talk about the glorious hope that we have in this truth of the rapture is that we get so forward-looking then we forget to take care of business in the here and now. We can become so focused on all the great things God has in store for us that we forget about the job he's called us to while we're here on this earth. And I ended last week's message with a statement that all of this political turmoil, this social unrest, the pandemic fears that we are dealing with, They're all a setup that the spirit of the Antichrist is orchestrating. And I want to qualify this statement this morning by exposing the nature of the Antichrist and the spirit that works on his behalf in our world today. I really don't like giving up time talking about our Savior to talk about the devil or his ways or the Antichrist I actually really agree with the words that Frederick Lehman penned when he wrote the great hymn, The Love of God. And in that hymn, 
there's a, a phrase, a, a verse that says, could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? If the, if the ocean was full of ink and the sky was a big piece of paper and every stalk on earth, every weed, every little stick, everything that comes out of the ground, every grass blade, if every stalk on earth were a quill, a pen, and every man a scribe, a writer by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll, the whole sky, contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. We could spend a lifetime just talking about the love of God, right? And we wouldn't even scratch the surface. But this morning, I believe it is important that you understand the workings of the enemy. Who is the Antichrist that we hear so much about when people talk about the end times? To answer that, let's remind ourselves of the order in which things will happen. First of all, we are currently living in the church age. I want you to put a graphic up there. This is a, a, a timeline, if you will, of things to come. And if you see that right there, get my laser pointer out here, right there, church age. That is where we are living right now, the church age. And as this age approaches its end, there will be a rise in earthquakes, famines, and other natural disasters. There will be wars and rumors of wars and social unrest can be included in this as well. These are all signs of the times. They are birth pangs. And I've been reminded of birth pangs lately because I just had another grandchild be born. And we, yeah, amen. And I gotta say, um, Barbie and Glenn Bedwell, you have one of the most cutest grandkids I've ever seen. So way to go, guys. Happens to be my grandkid, too, if you didn't know that. Matthew 24, 4 through 8 says this, And Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place. But that is not the end. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. By the way, all that's going on. There's been an increase even in natural disasters. If you look on anywhere on, on, on Google and you do a quick study of natural disasters, earthquakes, famines, it's just on the rise continually. It says in verse 8, but all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. These all increase in intensity as the day of the rapture approaches. And you have to understand that the rapture is just phase one. Go back to that graphic, if you would. So we're in the church age, and the spirit of the Antichrist is at work in this time, right now. He's working. He's stirring things up. And there's going to come a point when it just about boils over, and whoosh, we're raptured up to heaven. That's going to be a glorious time. You have to understand that the rapture is just phase one of the second coming of Christ. And this is where people can get a little confused. It's phase one of the second coming. Because Jesus is just going to come back in the clouds, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Well, now I'm getting ahead of myself. And we who are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds, right? 
Jesus doesn't actually step his foot on the earth. So it's not a, the, wholeness, the whole second coming isn't, isn't right here. I want to emphasize that this morning. It's just phase one. He comes back and all these things happen. And, and, and as all this does happen, the time of the tribulation begins on the earth and the Antichrist is revealed as he rises to power. So you have the spirit of the Antichrist working here and then the, the things get crazy on earth more and more and more as they are right now and then the rapture will happen and the tribulation begins. And the Antichrist is revealed. And there'll be seven years, this tribulation will be seven years of future history that will be the worst seven years that the world has ever seen. All of those birth pangs will continue to increase and they will become even more intense as the last half of those seven years unfolds. And during this time, the Antichrist will make a treaty with Israel, but will break it after three and a half, at the three and a half year mark. He will gain allegiance by performing miracles and signs and wonders. Everything we're seeing right now, it's part of the setup. Am I saying we're right there right now? I don't know that for sure. I don't think anybody does. But they're definitely signs of the times. How intense will they get before the rapture happens? I don't know. The rapture comes like a thief in the night, right? It'll happen when everybody is, is least expectant. Boom, it just happens. We don't know the day and the hour. We don't know when. And it's pointless to try to figure that out. We just need to be ready. We don't know who the Antichrist is at this point. People within the church have guessed and have tried to name him. Some people look at different political figures and say that must be him or her. But this is really not what we should be doing. I have a question. Why focus on trying to figure out who the Antichrist is when we know we will be raptured out of the world before he's revealed? I want you to think about that. Because there's a lot of people in the church trying to figure it out. And I want to say this. It's another trick. If Christians are so wrapped up in trying to figure all this out, they aren't busying themselves with the Father's business of building his kingdom until Christ returns. The Antichrist will be the personification of evil. If evil itself had a face, if it was a person, it would be the Antichrist. And he is referred to as the man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians, as well as the son of destruction. And you have to understand, the devil tries to counterfeit everything that God has or does. How many have ever heard of the Holy Trinity? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Raise your hand if you've heard that. Okay. The devil has a counterfeit for that. It's the unholy triad, and it's made of, up of Satan as the counterpart to God the Father, the Antichrist, who is Jesus' counterpart, and the false prophet, who seems to glorify the Antichrist as the Holy Spirit glorifies Christ. And this seven years of tribulation ends with the second phase of the second coming of Christ. He returns in all of his glory with all of us alongside him, and it's the battle of Armageddon, and basically the battle is over before it starts. Satan gathers all the armies of the world to fight in an effort to dethrone Christ. The Antichrist leads these armies and is destroyed along with them. 
Satan is thrown into the abyss for a thousand years as we, the raptured saints, and those who came to Christ and remained faithful to him through the tribulation, will enjoy the millennial reign of Christ here on earth. He will sit on the throne. Jesus himself will sit on the throne for a thousand years here on this earth and lead the entire world in a wonderful time of peace and prosperity like we have never seen before. And we who are raptured will rule and reign with him. That's in a nutshell what's going to happen. Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica about these things. In 2 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 2, he said this, Now we request you... Brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you not be quickly shaken from your composure or, by, or, or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if it's from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. I think this is really interesting because way back when in the days of Paul and the beginnings of the church, really, the first decades of the church, you have people in Thessalonica, the church there, all in an uproar because there was, they were thinking that the day of the Lord was upon them. Apparently, there were false teachers that were causing disunity amongst believers there by claiming that the day of the Lord was upon them and they were living in a time period that is referred to as the day of the Lord. But they weren't, it wasn't the day of the Lord yet. And I've seen that throughout history. If you look through history at church and how it responds to different things, can you imagine what the church, uh, and some of you would remember this probably, remember what the church felt like and what was going on according to end times when World War II broke out? And Hitler was rising to power, taking over all of Europe? But it still wasn't the end. You see that happening in the church today. You see Christians getting really nervous about all these things. Is the day of the Lord upon us? Why do they get nervous? If they know where they're going, they shouldn't be nervous, right? But they start thinking about all their family members. They think, start thinking about their neighbors and their friends and their coworkers, and they think about all the things that they should have done that they haven't been doing. And it begins to be like a, 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 a sick feeling in our gut because we haven't done what we we're supposed to be doing all along. And there's a nervousness. And this is what was going on with the Thessalonians. And Paul says, Do not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by a spirit or a message or a letter as if it's from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Paul clearly taught them in the next verses that this was not so. And he said in verse 3, Let no one in any way deceive you for it, referring to the day of the Lord, it is the day of the Lord, and this day, and let me make this clear too. It shouldn't be thought of as a specific day. The day of the Lord is akin to the second coming. It starts with the rapture and it ends with him fully coming back seven years later to fight the battle, excuse me, of Armageddon. So it says, let no one deceive you for the day of the Lord, it will not come unless the apostasy or the rebellion, comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Bible scholars don't always agree on when this rebellion or apostasy happens and who actually rebels. Those who do not know Christ or those that do know him. 
But what we do know is that there will be a great rise in rebellious behavior as the end of the church age approaches. And we see it right now, all around us. Personally, I believe that many in the church will be so distracted and have their focus on wrong things that they will drift away from Christ gradually without even knowing it. Then when the pressure begins to mount as the spirit of the Antichrist ramps up the evil, solid people, even the elect, will turn their backs on their Savior. And the reason I believe that personally is because 1 Timothy 4.1 says, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. And then I think of Luke 8, chapter 13. The seeds on the rocky soil. This is the parable of the soil. This is Jesus telling the uh, disciples a parable. He says, the seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy, but since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while, then they fall away when they face temptation. And these verses teach us that Christians will fall away. And it's not crazy to believe that these are in reference to more than just one time period. The parable of the sower has been true since Jesus spoke it, but it will also be true as the end approaches. A great rebellion. It's beginning to happen. I have no idea how long it will last. I really don't know how intense it will be. But I believe it will be a significant spirit of rebellion that will affect people both inside and outside the church. And this will happen before the rapture of the church. And nobody knows every detail about how this all goes down, but the rebellion just starts to boil over. The rapture takes place, and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The Antichrist is revealed, and people will be led by him into the most corrupt, sinful, and horrific time ever known to man. I don't want to be here. Do you want to be here for that? Sometimes I think Christians get so busy and so concerned studying all this stuff, they dive into it so far because they want to know every aspect of it because deep down inside they think they're going to be here. Well, you can be here if you want. I don't want to be here. I want to go in the rapture, amen? Can you imagine that day, how that day will go down? I mean, just let your mind drift a little bit. When millions of people are snatched away in the twinkling of an eye and taken out of this world, the Bible talks about it. This is not... Fantasy. This is real stuff. One will be working by another in a field, and the one will be gone, and the one will be left. Can you imagine, like, whoa, where'd you go? People will be in their homes talking at the dinner table, possibly, or watching television together, and they're in the middle, mid-conversation, and boom, one of them leaves. Maybe mom and dad go instantly, and kids are left. Teenagers are left. Maybe teenagers go and mom and dads are left. There'll be airplanes piloted by Christians who are no longer in the pilot seat. Cars that will be without drivers. The world will experience a panic on the day of the rapture like it's never known. Can you imagine the gridlock in traffic? And in everything, just a total meltdown of everything. This man of lawlessness is 
then revealed and people will be led by him into this corrupt, sinful, and horrific time. It's hard to believe, considering the horrific things humanity has already done, that this is going to even be worse, but it will be. And I think it's worth saying that when millions of people are suddenly taken out of the world in the rapture, there's going to be some panic. There will even be people who get angry at God because they were not taken themselves and they felt they deserved to go. I was in church every Sunday. I have a Bible by my bed. I listen to 107.1 every day on the way to work. I'm a Christian. I don't swear. I don't do this, I don't do that, and I live better than most people. You know, that day is going to be full of surprises because God looks at the heart. The heart. The inner man. The person you are deep down inside. And there will these people who are angry at God because they were not taking themselves. Maybe that anger will be the fuel that burns the fire of this rebellion and the rebellion just reaches its pinnacle and it just paves the way for the Antichrist to come into power. And remember that the spirit of Antichrist has been work on this earth since Jesus' day. Just as sin has surely led us into increasing chaos, the Antichrist is using that chaos to bring about this increase in rebellion. And I need to make a statement here. Being a Christian isn't about belief in God. I'm going to say it again. Being a Christian, a real, authentic, born-again, Bible-believing Christian is not about belief in God. Satan believes. Being a sold-out Christian is about submission, submitting. And I, th I think this is really interesting. I looked up some synonyms for the, uh, for the word rebellion, and ask yourself if any of these describe the current social, political, and climate, spiritual climate we find ourselves in. Synonyms for, uh, for rebellion, anarchy, confusion, disintegration, disintegration, disorder, insubordination, insurrection, lawlessness, mutiny, revolt, revolution, riot, sedition, which is conduct or, or speech that incites people to rebel against authority. Have we seen any of that? Tumult, which is a loud, confused noise, especially one caused by a large mass of people. Wow. And here are some antonyms of the word rebellion. Opposites. Authority, command, control, Domination, dominion, law, loyalty, obedience, order, rule, sovereignty, and submission. Folks, Christianity is about submission. Yes, belief as well, but if you truly believe in all who God says he is, then submission should be automatic. Let me say this, and please understand what I'm saying here. The kingdom of God will not be a democracy. It will be a total theocracy. There will be one king, one ruler, one authority, and that authority will be Jesus Christ. There's no need for voting in God's kingdom. There's no need for political parties, hallelujah, when the king of kings is our authority. 
When our supreme ruler is perfect in every way, democracy is obsolete. There's no need for it. The problem is for now, he is not sitting on the throne of this world because mankind hasn't placed him there through the power of their choice, by the way. As individuals, we can choose to put him on the thrones of our lives and witness to others to do the same, but he's not ruling the world yet. This is why a democratic republic, which is our nation, is our best option for now as far as government goes. It's imperfect at best, but theocracies will always become tyrannical when led by imperfect humans. Power, pride, glory, it will always go to their heads. Democratic republics can at least provide a checks and balance to try and stay as close to the truth as possible. But hear me, church, as the morality begins to slowly decay in a democratic republic, the voice of those who speak the truth becomes less audible. The church must preach the truth of submission and repentance. And when I say that, it's not come to church and listen to a pastor preach the message of truth, submission and repentance. It's all of you preaching the gospel message of repentance and submission. I'm not the only preacher in here. You're like, yeah, Pastor Jared is one too. <laughs> we got Pastor Donnie and we got uh, Pastor Bryce and a few others. But yeah, Pastor Guy up there. Every one of you is a preacher. You may not do it full-time, but you're still supposed to preach. You're still supposed to share. You're still supposed to be a witness. Yeah, we pay you to do that, Pastor Barry. Leave us alone. Not true. The church has got to preach the truth of submission and repentance. Christians must display this, or they are really just mirroring the activity of the Antichrist. Loud, obnoxious reaction mirrors disorder and chaos. Disciplined, spirit-led responding mirrors the work of Christ. And as the spirit of the Antichrist ramps up the evil activity in the world, it becomes extremely important that the church remains focused every day, every hour counts what are we doing to build his kingdom? What are we doing to lead others to Christ? These are the questions that have to be our driving force. Going back to 2 Thessalonians 2, continuing on there in verse 5. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, this is Paul again talking to the Christians at the church in Thessalonica, I was telling you these things. Verse 6, and you know what restrains him now. Talking about the Antichrist you know what restrains him, Antichrist, now, so that in, the, in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work back then, and it's still at work now. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. So who is this restrainer? There have been many theories, but most... Likely, it is the Holy Spirit that is working to hold back the evil within this world by empowering the church. 
The Holy Spirit himself will not be removed. He will still be working in the hearts of people during the tribulation. But his work that is currently being done through the church will no longer go on because the church will no longer be here. The restrainer that is removed can be understood to mean the Holy Spirit's work through the church. The church is not the restrainer, but rather the one the Holy Spirit uses to restrain. Can, can you imagine what the world will look like? I mean, during this time? We talked about it a little bit already, but missionaries, pastors, Bible teachers, believers in every career imaginable are suddenly gone. When the influence of the church is non-existent, when it's just not there anymore, when the kind words and the love that is displayed through the church of Jesus Christ just vanishes from the face of the earth, the spirit of the Antichrist will practically be unopposed. And the anger that people will have towards God will fuel their hearts right in the hands of this beast, the Antichrist. So what's the point of all this this morning? A nation, our nation, our beloved blessed and highly favored nation of the United States of America is in a state of rapid decay. And church, we need to know biblically what's going on. We must understand the signs of the times. We have to maintain an eternal perspective in all of this and continue to remain focused on doing the will of the Father and build his kingdom until he returns. We don't have to fret and worry about every bad thing going on around us. The Lord promised that if we remain faithful, he will see us through to the end. The Lord promised that even if we have to give our lives, he will give us the strength to endure. And we must respond to the circumstances and situations that we find ourselves in culturally. Not react, but respond with the love of Christ. We must stand up for the truth and pray that this great nation doesn't cease to exist. And it is a great nation, even though it's got tons of problems, tons of issues, things we need to work out, but it's still a great nation. And I'm not talking about just praying for our nation half-heartedly. I'm talking about getting on our knees and crying out to God, interceding and standing in the gap, pleading for our neighbors and our coworkers and our families. And all the while we are doing these things, we must always encourage one another and ourselves that this world is not our home. We love our country, but our citizenship is in heaven. What am I saying? It's very hard to remain balanced. It takes effort. You're not just gonna automatically be balanced in all these things. Being about the Father's business, being up to date on current events, not reacting to everything you see, but responding with the love of Jesus. All of it has to come together. And if there's ever been a time that the church needs to be prayed up and full of wisdom, it's right now. We must be full of the Spirit of God leading and guiding us. Or we're gonna fail. We'll get distracted. Squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. Spirit of the Antichrist is at work right now to try and drag every person to hell that he can. Rebellion is on the rise. But the church, we can't just roll over. We can't just say, well, it's going to happen. What's going to happen is going to happen, so what can I do about it? Let me hold my family's hand. Let me go to church, and we'll get a holy huddle, and we'll all go together in the rapture. Won't that be nice? I'm not willing to do that. 
I just, I don't know. You have a pastor who, uh, when the tornado sirens go off, I don't go looking for shelter. I go out in the street and want to watch it. We got stuff to do. I'm not saying you should go watch tornadoes. That's kind of dumb, actually, but... Spiritually speaking, we don't hunker down. We don't crawl in the closet and hide until Jesus comes back. I think it's so important as a church right now, even with everything going on. I mean, you got, you got crazy stuff that we never would have thought six months ago would ever happen. Could you ever have imagined that churches would be shut down indefinitely in one of our states? Which they are in California. Just shut down indefinitely. Now, there's people that are fighting that, and there's like 3,000 churches that said, no, we're going to meet anyway. We don't care what you say. I like that. It's good. At the same time, there's churches that are not being safe at all and, and just saying, well, none of, this is, none of this stuff matters. We're going to do whatever we want. There, there's no balance. There's churches that have done that and ended up people actually dying because they just didn't care. So walking that balance is so important. Knowing what's going on around us is so important. We have to fight the good fight of faith. We must busy ourselves with building his kingdom here on earth while watching for our Savior. And I, I want to say this. I, I know the Antichrist is coming, but I don't want to waste a second looking for him. I want my eyes focused on the coming of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Why am I going to give him any time? 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together. Rapture! with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. That's speaking of the rapture, the first phase of the second coming. And then Revelation 1-7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him. So it is to be. Amen. That's the second phase of the second coming. When Jesus comes back with all of us to fight the battle of Armageddon, and it says, all the tribes, all the nations of the earth will mourn over him. Why are they mourning over him? They're mourning because they know he's got their number and it's over. Those that were rebellious towards God, it's, they know it's done. Actually, that word mourn, I was studying it very closely, and it really means wail or beat your chest out of anguish because they I mean one look at the glorified Jesus coming back he has fire in his eyes and we sing that song don't we and as he comes back with a sword in his hand and the church is right with him it's going to be such a sight that they just know it's over there's no chance it's just done and actually, Jesus speaks in the battle of Armageddon, and it's like, boom, game over. There's really no fighting. 
One word out of his mouth, end of story. That's what kind of God we serve. That's the side we are on. I want to pray this morning. And I hope this series on our nation being in chaos and how all this kind of fits into things going on, um, I hope it's been helpful to you. But more than anything else, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're not living for Him, you need to make that choice. And whether you're here this morning or you're watching online, it's so important that you understand that the time is near. Time is running out. I don't know when that's going to be done. I, nobody does. But today is the day of salvation. And all it takes is you saying yes to God. Yes, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to sit on the throne of my life so that I can spend an eternity with you. Would you bow your heads today? All across this room and all across wherever you're watching this. If you died tonight, where would you go? If Jesus Christ came back in the next few minutes, would you be left behind? It's not about you being a good person. It's not about belief. It's about submission. Have you submitted to him? Have you submitted to his word? Are you fighting the good fight of faith? And if you haven't accepted him truly and let him take over the reins, the control room, the throne of your heart, however you want to say it, then you need to ask him in to be your Savior and Lord. Maybe you did that a long time ago and you've just drifted and drifted and drifted. Maybe with everything going on, you've gotten unfocused and you need to come back to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Back to that personal relationship with him. And if that's you, if you need him, you need to make that decision. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand and say, yeah, that's me, I need to do that. Okay, I see the hand in the balcony. See the other hand on the balcony? I see a few other hands. And if you're online, please jump on and, and message our online pastor. He'll pray with you right now. Let him know. Or her know, who's ever up there right now. Let them know that you want to make this decision. But the decision is as easy as praying a prayer from your heart. And then walking in it. So let's pray together this morning. Everyone in this room, repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart to be my Savior, to be my Lord. Change me from the inside out. I admit my sin and I acknowledge my need for you. I want to live for you. I want you to be in control. I'm sick of being in the driver's seat. I'm sick of failing. I just want you. In Jesus' name, amen.
you prayed that from your heart this morning, the Bible says that all of heaven rejoices. So you just caused a party to go uh, to start in heaven by doing that. And uh, please let us know online if, if you've made that decision. There was at least five or six that made it here, so let's give the Lord a, a, a hand, a praise offering. Church, if there's anything I want you to remember about this series, it's you are called to be balanced. Walk in balance. Walk in love. Amen? All right. We love you. God bless you. Have an awesome, awesome week. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.